I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Since 1996, the Children's Memory Garden has honored the children of our community lost to violence. It provides a sense of peace and comfort for the families of these children and an opportunity for all of us to reflect on how violence impacts the entire community. Yesterday, the city held a ceremony to debut the newly renovated garden. Later this hour, we'll take you to that unveiling in Centennial Park and meet some of the families. But first, early voting begins today at election offices across the state. One of the most competitive races we've been following is in Nashville's redrawn 5th Congressional District, pitting Democrat Heidi Campbell against Republican Andy Ogles. Here to give us the latest on the race is our own political reporter, Blaze Ganey. Hey, Blaze, how's it going? Good. Awesome. So, you know, some voters outside Nashville might be surprised to learn that they are in the 5th District. So, you know, Blaze, can you give us an idea of what areas this district includes besides just Nashville? Yeah, so um, the 5th the District includes the southern portion of Davidson County, the entirety of Murray, Lewis, and Marshall Counties, and portions of Wilson and Williamson Counties. All right, so the 5th District used to be a Democratic stronghold when it was just Nashville, but because of the redistricting, which you've been following very closely, now, you know, State Senator Heidi Campbell really has her work cut out for her. How does the redrawn district benefit Republicans? Well, so one of the ways that pollsters are predicting that this district will be a benefit to Republicans is based on the 2020 election results. And right, the ones that they have show that uh, President Donald Trump would have won the district by 11 points, which was a little over 41,000 votes. And you can count that with the fact that some people in Davidson County are also likely to vote Republican. I've spoken to some who are, you know, very happy and feel like, for years, when it was a Democratic stronghold, that their voice wasn't being heard. Mm. And so if you account both of those things, it's a clear advantage for Republicans. So Campbell has been focusing on issues she thinks will help this race, including the state's abortion ban that has outlawed the procedure in the state with no exceptions. How has abortion animated this race? Well, you're exactly right. It's sort of been the focal point of this in several other races. But I think now they're sort of pivoting to find more things to attack uh, their opponents about uh, as far as Democrats attacking Republicans and uh, trying to point out things Andy Ogles, her opponent, is doing uh, as far as, you know, not debating. Um, she's really been uh, tweeting and vo very vocal about the fact that uh, residents and, and candidates or voters won't see any um, debate. But, you know, an interesting part to talk about abortion more is the speech that Biden gave yesterday at the historically black University Howard mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. He asked for people to remember how they felt on the day the Dobbs decision was overturned. Um, and I think that's a sign of him trying to, you know, reengage and, you know, reanimate people and take them back to that time with all the energy that they had to go out and protest to now take that same energy and use it again to get out and vote. Well, what has Republican Andy Ogles said about abortion? Well, I think the biggest thing and most repeated is that he wants no exceptions. He thinks the current law is perfect the way that it's written. And he calls exceptions a red herring used by Democrats to taint the conversation. Hmm. Now, Ogles did not return your requests to participate in your coverage of this race, but that didn't stop him from appearing elsewhere. He actually answered a question by a conservative radio outlet. Let's listen. 
and talking to uh, some liberal media over at NPR or whatever isn't going to win this race. Talking to real people is, and that's what we're doing. Wow. Dang. Okay. Well, I, I think I'm a real person, but you know, we know our listenership includes people of all different political persuasions. So Blaze, what is Ogle's strategy here? So his strategy is essentially to paint everybody that he doesn't speak to. And of course, Democrats as the enemy. And, you know, that means not doing interviews with uh, non-conservative leaning people that could possibly open him up to criticism. And if he does that, most of the info being shared will be with a positive intent. It'll come from people who likely want him to win or on the same side of the political atmosphere as him. And it'll, you know, be pushed out to the people that he already anticipates will vote for him. You hinted at this a little bit earlier, but I'd like some clarification. Will the two candidates debate? I wouldn't hold my breath. Wow. Okay. So, you know, will money play a factor into this? How do the two campaigns, how do they compare in fundraising? So money will definitely play a factor. Um, They've both done a very good job of raising money. Heidi Campbell has raised more. She spent more and she still has more money left than her opponent. But she's also playing from behind, um, essentially being in this Republican leaning district. So only time will really tell if raising more in this district helped her. If she wins or even loses or closes that gap between Trump um, and Biden in 2020, it could be looked at as a win for what the future may hold uh, since these maps will be in place until 2030 unless, you know, there's a challenge against the maps in courts. That's WPLN politics reporter Blaze Ganey. You can read more of his coverage of the 5th District at WPLN.org. And while you're there, you can find out where to cast your ballots because early voting starts today. Thanks for being here, Blaze, as always. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll go out to the Children's Memory Garden in Centennial Park and meet some of the people responsible for this special place. Do you have a loved one who is memorialized at the garden? What does it mean to you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. Since 1996, a little-known corner of Centennial Park has memorialized children lost to violence. Last night, a new and much-improved children's memory garden was unveiled at a ceremony. It got a new location, too, just west of the Parthenon. The memorial itself looks like a lighthouse engraved with more than 100 names. When the sun goes down, small lights dot the concrete path to represent all the young lives cut short. Family members of the children remembered at the garden wore yellow roses to mark their losses. Jamika Marlowe, her father Earl Jones, and her granddaughter Antonia wore shirts and held photos of three-year-old Jamela Marlowe. Antonia. Yes, yeah. Jamela's sister, and she was shot as well, but she survived. She was two when she was shot, and Jamela was three. Jamela died of a gunshot wound on April 12, 2021, the same day her mother learned Jamela had landed a preschool stop at Frederick Douglass head start. As Jamika chokes up remembering her granddaughter, 
Her dad, Earl Jones, rubs her back. It's still, it's still a hurt. It's still a, a, a tragedy that we're trying to go through. And this right here helped let me know her name would live forever here at this park. And they already told me they got the young trees to represent the young kids as they grow. So it always be something that people always remember of these young people, not only her, but everyone that lost a life here. It's very important to these families and us. ceremony closed with the country musician Vince Gill and the Temple Praise Choir singing his song, Go Rest on That High Mountain. The new, this new garden was designed with families like Marlowe's in mind, with long concrete benches so they can sit and remember the young lives cut short. Joining us now are a few of the people behind the garden. Andrea Conte is the chair of the Children's Memory Garden of Nashville Committee and former First Lady of Tennessee, and Kelby Smith, was the young child who came up with the idea for the garden in, in 1995. Andrea, Kelby, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Great well, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Happy to have you both with us. Now, Kelby, I'd like to start with you. How did you come up with the idea for the garden? So the nightly news back when I was in that six, seven uh, year old age range was uh, something that I feel like most families sat in and watched. Um, my dad, that was his his thing um, pretty much every day. We, we never missed it. And I just, you know, wanted to be around dad. Mm -hmm. Half the time didn't pay attention, but it seemed like uh, it became fairly repetitive to start noticing children being um, killed. And at that age, thinking that was kind of odd, you know, even, even as young as I was thinking, you know, it just doesn't seem normal for kids to be getting killed um, as frequently as it was happening. Um, so I remember saying something to him one night after, um, Regina's daughter, um, Adriana and, uh, Jeremiah, uh, those two stories just really sat heavy with me, even at, even at that age. And I remember saying something to the effect of, you know, if, if, if somebody killed me, w would you cry? Mm. And he kind of, you know, sat back in his chair and thought that that seemed like a crazy question for a kid to ask. And uh, he was like, well, well, of course. And I was like, well, you know, those those people are are hurting right now. We should we should do something nice for them. And he thought that that was, I guess, relatively profound from a six year old. Um, so he reached out and I don't know who he reached out to. But, you know, obviously, Andrea was heavily involved um, in, in anything and everything. Um, and 
at some point she she was brought into this uh, as well as a lot of other um, prominent figures with the garden and, and it just took off from there. Andrea, how did you first become involved with the garden? Well, I think Kelby's giving me too much credit mm. because uh, uh, he and his dad ended up approaching Metro at the time and uh, Metro loved the idea and set aside a place in Centennial Park for the garden. And that's how it started in 1996. And I, I certainly was there when it was dedicated. And, and it was maintained by volunteers for a couple of years. I remember going over there and pulling weeds and just taking care of the garden until Parks uh, took, took all of that on it themselves. Now, Kelby, you know, let's go back a little bit. You're, you're six years old. You're seeing reports of these kids your age who were being killed. You know, what did you think when you, when you watched those stories? So specifically with um, Jeremiah, um, there was, uh, I believe he was 12 at the time, but the story was that he was buying ice cream. And I think memory served, that was the first one that really got my attention because, you know, you, you hear the word ice cream as a kid and you just, you know, perk up and you're like, whoa, ice cream. Mm -hmm. So at that age, that was the coolest thing that could happen to you on a summer, you know, vacation is hearing that, that ice cream truck roll by. Obviously this was a little different situation, but, um, to, to think that a kid was, you know, minding his own business out buying ice cream at a, at a corner store and becomes a victim of, of a shooting, um, whether it was obviously directed towards him or not, he was wrong place, wrong time. And uh, that specifically just, I remember thinking to myself, you know, how does that happen? Yeah. And uh, that was probably the most, um, the biggest impact on me specifically, I, as well as her story. I understand your dad's a horticulturalist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. Um, well, he's owned several businesses, but always geared around um, landscaping and, you know, development and stuff like that. So is that where the idea for the garden really was uh, birth? Yeah. So I remember specifically saying something to the effect of chocolates or, or um, you know, flowers for the, the victims' families. And he kind of just thought that that didn't seem like enough. And he approached me with, well, you know, we have... That, well, I have this business, you know, um, I have these greenhouses full of plants. Like, I feel like there's something we can do more than that. Mm. And that's where the memory of, or the idea for the garden came in because it, you know, flowers, they come and go, mm -hmm. you know, a place to go to be with the memory of your relative is something you can have forever. So that's, that's where that idea really took off. Mm -hmm. Now we just heard a small part of yesterday's ceremony Andrea, can you can you tell us what's changed in the renovation of the garden? Well, the uh, the original garden wasn't uh, handicap accessible, and water pooled in the center of it uh, every time it rained to any degree, uh, and it really wasn't well known in Nashville. So the the uh, new children's memory garden. Um, uh, is is one that this whole community embraced uh, as as we started with just a working group to try to 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 get our arms around what we wanted and what the community wanted and uh, I I had to approach a lot of volunteers and just ask them if they would get involved mm. and also uh, metro departments 
um, because it wouldn't have been successful without Metro Parks, without the mayor's office, without the attorney general's office, with the uh, district attorney general's office, without the police department. And, uh, And everyone I spoke with just... There was no hesitation. Yes, hmm. but we want representation on that. This is like a, a total full community effort. It's a full community effort, and and uh, at the ceremony uh, last evening, you really saw that in the video clips. What's the difference in design now? What will people see when they go? Uh, this has uh, this is designed by a professional um, landscape architect. And uh, there are a sweeping granite benches that rise and then mm. descend back into the ground, which symbolize uh, just the cycle of life. There is a, a, light, a lighthouse monument that captures the history of the original garden, and it contains all the plaques that uh, a man named Charlie Hunt of Hunt Memorials uh, he he carved the kids' names into those plaques every year mm. for 20 years. And so it, it displays all of those plaques. It's a lot of dedication and time from a lot of different people, including yourself. Tell me, why invest in this garden in this way? Well, you know, mostly because it needed to be done. Mm. You know, and uh, and I have um, I, I just had a lot of interest in it because I was there when it was first dedicated. And um, I've, I have uh, been a victim, of course, and which is part of the reason I do this. Um, so victim advocacy is really important to me. But this garden kind of goes beyond that. I mean, this garden is about kids it's about just sometimes just little tiny kids. Hmm. And um, we now have just looking at the number of children we have in that garden, it's almost 250. Wow. And so I, I think it's time to look now at, okay, let's just take a look at what's going on here and let's just see what we, what we might do differently. Hmm. Now, Kelby, did you, did you visit the garden over the years? Yeah, the original one, um, as Andrea said, it was basically based um, of volunteers that did the upkeep. So I memory serve at least twice a year, made trips out there with um, with my dad to, you know, remulch, touch up. Um, I do remember vandalism being part of it to a degree. So trying to rectify some of those issues and, and little things like that. Um, but I would say after I turned about 12, 10 to 12, somewhere in that ballpark, um, I don't think I had been back since um, until about three weeks ago um, when I got to go over and look at it before the dedication. What was that experience like when you got to, got to see it after all these years? Uh, they actually filmed my live reaction to it, and um, I, I didn't have to sell that at all. I mean, it it is extravagant by comparison. Um, just as Andrea was saying, the the way they've gone about just the details and the intricacies that are involved in this one versus the old one and just the raw size of it. I mean, I would say it's probably seven, eight, nine, ten times the size of the original mm. and where they put it is, is so much better um, in the sense that people 
had kind of not ever realized what was over there. It was blocked by a lot of trees. And, and again, it was off in a corner. So you just didn't naturally wind up in that spot. Whereas this area is kind of more central to a degree and the sidewalks kind of naturally funnel, funnel you into it. So even if you're walking and you really don't realize what you're walking into, you become part of it because it comes right through the center, at which point you can't miss that lighthouse. You're going to see those names and wonder what they are. And as you walk over there, you become part of the garden um, in a sense that, you know, your awareness obviously is being brought to the purpose of it. And that to me is the biggest thing, because a lot of times I think as people, we just we don't become advocates for certain things until we become a, a victim of it or a part of it or have a family member become, you know, somehow involved with it. Whereas with this, I think people just naturally being able to walk in there and go, what is this place? And then seeing it, they become an advocate without even meaning to. And I think that that's the biggest thing. They become part of the garden. That's 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 very heavy and powerful. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host. Khalil Lake Colonna. We're talking this hour about the Children's Memory Garden in Centennial Park, memorializing children in our community lost to violence. Now I'd like to bring in the mother of one of these children, Regina Hockett. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm great. I'm having a good day. Wonderful. Now, your daughter, Adrienne, was one of the children that inspired the creation of the Memory Garden. Can you tell us a little bit about her? About Adrian. Uh, first, Adrian was a little girl that I asked God for. Mm. Um, she was, uh, I guess, the bubbly personality comes from me. <laughs> she had, she was bubbly. She was a servant. Anytime people would come to my home, friends or, or family, she was always the one to come and ask, "Can I get you anything? Can I get you water? Do, have you eaten?" She was just that kind of little girl. Even at church, she was a she was one of the ushers, and she was an usher. She did her job. She did it, and she did it well. Would you mind sharing what happened to her? On October the 17th, 1995, Adrian and I were, we were going to take a trip to Virginia to my sister's home to visit her for Thanksgiving, The whole, where most of us were going. So we were buying airline tickets, and we had to go to the mega market store in Antioch to purchase the tickets. And as I was making the purchase, she asked me for a quarter. She saw the 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 big bubblegum machine, and she wanted bubblegum. So I said, I don't have a quarter now, but when I finish this purchase, I will have one. But she remembered that I kept change in the ashtray of my car, and she walked out the store. I, I didn't see her leave, but she walked out the store to go to the car to get the quarter. Someone walked in the store and said, um, "There's a man in a, there's a man in a parking lot that has shot. He and he shot a lady." And she was her size. She was like a little lady. She was only 12 years old. And they stopped everybody from going out the store. And as they stopped, I went down the front of the cashier's aisles and looking because the first aisle I looked at was the baking aisle because she loved baking. So I looked, I didn't see her. And I looked down the next aisle and I didn't see her. So I just stood there then, you know, not knowing you know, what really would happen. And as they let people out of the store, I walked out. And the first thing I saw was her shoes. She had on a pair of patent leather uh, shoes mm. and they were shining. I mean, bright. And that's when I said, "That's that's that's my baby." I'm sorry. And not knowing what had happened until later, um, thinking we were going to the hospital, they kept saying, "We'll call the ambulance." Da da. And um, when I saw him pull the sheet over, I just yelled, "We're not going to the hospital." And then I, they just 
wish me back into the store. I'm deeply sorry. Yeah, thank you. How did you first hear about the garden? I don't even remember. It was such a blur because it was in, it was 96 mm -hmm. and I was really going through, really having a hard time dealing with, with the loss of my daughter. Um, I, I really, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what I, but I remember going and I remember them telling us about Kelby and his, and I, I was, and to see him yesterday, it was like, you was only seven. Was it seven? I think it was seven. It was seven. Look at you now. He said 33. <laughs> So yes, then I we they, I heard about Kelby wanted to do it. We went to the garden when they had the dedication and everything. I visited the garden quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I would take my my nieces live they live out of town. They would come visit me. I would take them there. I've taken my grandchildren there. So uh, even in the last year, I've been I went before they tore everything down. I I, I visit that garden. You know what has it meant to you to have Adrienne memorialized in the garden? It means a lot. It, it, it keeps her name alive. I can still today, after 20-something years, go into a store or go somewhere, and it's like, you're Adrian's mama. Mm. So she, her, her name, I believe, will live on forever. Now, you know, Kelby, when you hear stories about how your ideas helped families to grieve with their loss, how does, how does that make you feel? It's, it's tricky for me now because... You know, at six, I remember seven, a lot of people approaching me and, you know, kind of wanting to, I don't want to say put the spotlight on me, but I guess acknowledge me at that age, you know, you're, you're just running around having a good time. And it, I guess it didn't really sit with me, obviously, to the degree that it is now as a father of three myself, um, you know, and a daughter that's almost as old as her daughter was at the time. Um, the point of the garden was never about me or my father or, you know, anything like that. It was, it was always for the kids, you know, because again, even back to that age, I guess I had a fairly good grasp on the concept of death and, you know, the fact that once, once you're gone, you're gone. And that, that seemed very permanent because it is permanent. And, you know, I didn't want to ever be myself one of those people you know, obviously her daughter, you know, I imagine her being exactly like her and mm. she's one of the coolest people I know. So, you know, the idea of having a place where those kids are forever remembered is the most important thing. So uh, as to your question, you know, it's not really about me. It's it's totally about the, the, the kids and the families. And I'm just happy that I was able to be a part of it. You know, Andrea, you spent so much time looking over the garden. What does the garden mean to you? It's, um, it, it means a remembrance. It means remembering these children and remembering these families. Uh, just uh, knowing some of these families has been such a, a blessing to see how they help each other heal and uh, just how heartfelt everything that they do uh, for each other is, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's like an experience I've never had. Mm. Andrea Conte is the chair of the Children's Memory Garden of Nashville Committee. She was joined by Kelby Smith, who came up with the idea for the garden as a child back in 1995. Andrea, Kelby, thank you again for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Regina Hockett is going to stay with us. And before we go to break, we're going to listen to a song that country musician Vince Gill wrote 
for Regina's daughter, Adrian. It's called Pretty Little Adriana, and he performed it last night at the ceremony. I had a daughter that was about the same age as Adrian. And uh, I wrote this song from the perspective of what it must be like uh, to lose someone like that. And this song is called Pretty Little Adrian. is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about the Children's Memory Garden, this decades-old memorial for children lost in our community to violence just got a refresh. The new memorial is a gathering space near the Parthenon in Centennial Park, where lights and engraved structure honor the children we've lost. It offers families a space to reflect, remember, and grieve their losses. To have a place like the Children's Memory Garden means a lot for families. My next guests are here to share their family's stories. Debbie Gray is the aunt of Crystal Faith, who was nine years old when she was killed in 2017. She is here with Enid Price, whose three-year-old granddaughter, Paris, died in 2020. Debbie, Enid, thank you so much for being here with us today, and thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you. Now, Debbie, I'd like to start with you. You lost your sister Susan and your niece Crystal in 2017. Can you just tell us a little bit about them? Uh, both of them were a little bit alike. Um, always had a smile on their face, bubbly, energetic. Um, Crystal could hug anybody. 
I mean, stranger, never met a stranger, and had this incredible infectious smile. Um, she was known as Sunshine, really, when you describe her. Um, she loved hanging out with her older brothers, James and Andy, um, loved pets, loved to fish. She was involved in softball, Girl Scouts, anything that you would think a typical nine-year-old would do. Well, what are some of your favorite and most fond, fondest memories of Crystal? I mean, being around her, um, I think probably the funniest one is watching her sit with my grandmother, who was in her 90s. We're not tech savvy at that age, but mm. she had a tablet and she just sat with her with all the patients in the world and was showing her how to play Angry Birds. And my grandmother was so fascinated <laughs> and was amazed. It was almost as if she was nine years old herself mm. learning to play that. So there are lots of those fond memories, but that's a special one. You know, I understand this may be difficult for you, but would you mind sharing what happened to Crystal? So on June 23rd, really the June 22nd, 2017, Crystal's father gave her 20 times the dose of Benadryl that you would give a child that age to knock her out. Um, and then he killed my sister, Suzanne, with a blunt trauma to the head and a stab wound to her back. And then after that, he set the house on fire and sealed up all the smoke detectors and then, you know, poured accelerant around the house and set it on fire. Um, luckily, a neighbor saw the house was on fire and they were able to come in, um, able to rescue, you know, to save, or they found them barely responsive, but took them to the hospital. And then Crystal died later of injuries from, from that fire. I'm sorry. Thank you. Enid, tell us about Paris. Paris was amazing. She was a bright little girl. She played with her dolls, played with internet better than I did. Mm -hmm. um, she loved everyone. She played with everyone. She was friendly to the public <laughs> more than she should have been. <laughs> um, she was just an amazing little girl. I saw a picture of her. It looks like she had like big, very squeezable cheeks. Yes, and <laughs> eyes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember most about her? Her just being under me, hugging me, teaching me a lot of things that I didn't do. Um, she taught me, showed me love. She showed me she a, a lot of things I can't even imagine. You know, I know sometimes, at least in my own family, grandparents, they see their own characteristics. In their grandchildren? Did you see any of yourself? She was all of me. All of you. <laughs> she was all of me. She was with me every day. Mm -hmm. She ate what I ate, the weird things that people wouldn't, the younger generation wouldn't touch. <laughs> she ate it. Um, you mean like Brussels sprouts and stuff? Yes. <laughs> olives. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, oysters. She ate it. Um, she, she, she wanted to hang out do mechanical work on vehicles, whatever we was doing. She was trying to do what older, her older siblings was doing. Mm -hmm. So she was everything to us. She practically lived with my uh, daughters. They slept together. Um, they would, she was more of their sister than their niece. You know, if you're comfortable sharing, can you 
share with us how Paris died. On June, uh, Ju- um, July 9th, 2020, I got a phone call from my daughter. Um, I had just dropped her off the night before um, that my granddaughter wasn't breathing. My daughter was practicing CPR. She was in, in on her way to the hospital with Paris doing CPR. Um, that's all we had knew at that time. And um, she passed that day. Uh, the autopsy was requested uh, by me and the, in the um, hospital. Uh, a couple, six months later, we found out it was a fentanyl uh, overdose. Mm. And my daughter and her boyfriend were charged. One is still on the run. My daughter turned herself in. I'm and she's doing her time. I'm sorry. Really deeply sorry. I'd like to hear from both of you about how you heard about the Children's Memory Garden. Debbie, how did you first hear about it? In April of 2019, I believe it was 2019, um, I was invited to an event that was hosted by You Have the Power, and it's recognizing those children that had lost their lives to homicide in the previous two years. And so I went to that event. It was uh, at Centennial Park in the Arts Center. And that's where I met Andrea Conte um, and Kathy Gurley and a lot of the other people involved in the organization. And that's where I learned about the garden. I had not heard about it. So I went, I did Google search, where is this garden? And like they said previously, it wasn't known to the public and it wasn't an easy place to find. But I remember finding it. It was a little bit like a scavenger hunt trying to find that. And that's how I learned about it. When you first saw it, what went through your mind? It's definitely a private place, but I thought, you know, this probably could be better. And that was my, you know, thought. Um, mainly because I remember seeing all those names on the floor, you know, of the garden that were etched in. And my first thought is, how do you, how do you scale this? This is, you know, they continue. They don't stop, which is so incredibly sad. So I think it just outgrew itself more than anything else. And you could tell that time certainly you know, had had its place with the garden. But you can see that it was ready for a new reimagined garden. Mm-hmm. I felt that. Enid, how did you discover the garden? I got a call um, from the district attorney's office. I didn't get her name. It was mm-hmm. several calls because <laughs> I missed them all because I work. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was telling me about the garden and who were... Uh, Shante Conte and did I say her name right? Andrea. <laughs> Andrea Conte was the one uh, over the uh, garden, and I and I looked it up online, and and then I just been I I wanted her, I was like yes I I, will, I want her in it. <laughs> she was amazing to me, and everybody needs to see her and and see what what happened and bring shed light to uh, what possibly could happen to if someone else goes through this situation. Why is it important to you to have Paris's memory preserved in the garden? 
because to bring awareness to other families, other mothers, other fathers, uh, grandmothers, that this is a, a new thing that people are dying from. Um, this fentanyl crisis is really getting bad and it's affecting the children, just like gun violence. So I wanted Paris to be remembered in the garden as that. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. This hour is all about the Children's Memory Garden at Centennial Park. We've been talking with Debbie Gray and Eden Priest, Prince Price, pardon me, who lost young loved ones to violence. Regina Hockett is still with us. Now, Regina, as we mentioned, you know, your daughter, Adrienne, was, is memorialized in the garden. And after all these years, you have remained involved with the garden, and you're on the committee why is it important to you that families have this space to reflect and to remember their children? Me going there um, is such, even the small garden, it was such a peaceful place. Um, and, and the fact that, they, that the, bar, the garden came about and, and, and they wanted to, memor to memorialize these kids whose life was taken by um, a violent murder, it was... I just I wouldn't have thought to do it, but that thought that it was done, and they and they and they're bringing awareness to the con the gun violence and any other thing that that's taking little, the kids' lives. I thought it, it's just it's just a peaceful place. It was a peaceful place for me. Even now to see the one now, it blew my mind to even watch the construction as it went on. They said um, we're going to put the benches in next. And then we went to see the benches. I'm thinking about concrete benches. And I go out there and they got these granite benches with mm. this these beautiful colors reflecting off of it. It just it just blew me away. Mm. I just never expected it to look like that. You know, earlier Kelby was talking about how you become a part mm -hmm. of the park. How does that how does that becoming a part that sounds very powerful to me? How mm -hmm. does becoming a part of this park really help people? find peace? I think just the fact that it's the babies. Uh, I wished I had that sheet that they had that they was bring, that they uh, was taking around with people showing them the garden and what these different things meant. It was so powerful to hear how the trees meant something and you had a tree over here that meant this is for the children, this is for the parents and how the, the, the seats came together and how they came apart and the it was it was so awesome the way they explained it. I'm gonna give a Kathy, I need to have that. Mm -hmm. Because it was it was really something to hear. And you've all suffered these really great, tremendous tragedies, but you're taking this experience and you've all, you've all decided to help others. You know, Enid, you just mentioned that you wanted to raise awareness about fentanyl and that crisis in our communities across not only just Nashville and Middle Tennessee, but the nation as well. You know, how, how do you hope to increase that awareness? It could be many things. Um, uh, I can't even think because I didn't write anything out, but uh, hosting events or um, something for... Uh, mothers and in, in some type of community center or something they can someone they can come to um, many ways uh, to try to help single mothers fathers everyone grandmothers that's taken on a lot of responsibilities as this uh, to bring as many many things I can come out and say I could I could think and mm -hmm. I can bring awareness to so it, it comes to head but I can't speak it but 
So when when you are when you've met other people who've suffered, you know, tragedies as well, what have those conversations been like? I this a lot of different tragedies. It's been I've been going through in the past couple of months. Uh, gun violence. Uh, many. It's it's me just comforting them and talking to them and guiding them. They're in the right direction, and you know. It's, it's many, <laughs> I'd have lost count with. I've, I've just been speaking to uh, a mother uh, the other day. She's, you know, they're battling drugs, so they have children. They've, I don't have no one to talk to. They was just saying, you know, where can I go? Do you know anyone? I have ch other children that's battling drugs. And me guiding them um, into treatment. There's not a many, many treatments out here for them. Uh, so it's not just one child that I have that has a drug problem. I have two others. Mm -hmm. So, and I sent them home to Alaska because there wasn't no place for here, them here. Mm -hmm. So to, to, it's them being comfortable to speak to people about this. That's what it's about. Thank you for sharing that. You know. Regina, what do you want people who have not had this experience to know about the Children's Memory Garden? Know about the garden? Yeah. Or, yes. I just want them to know to, to um, that it is an, it's for awareness for our children. I don't want to see another child in that garden. I don't... It. it, it nobody... No parent wants to bear their child. I never thought this would happen to me. But if if it, it just happened to have be that be this way, the garden I promise you the garden will bring you peace. It would just bring to me. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you about the story when we went out to when they when they planted the willow tree. The we they planted the willow tree and Andre and Kathy and a, some more the, the, the planning committee went out. We're looking up. What flies by? A dove. Mm. And somebody said, was that a dove? And then we all said at the same time, like a song, was that a dove? And it was. I keep looking up. And there was, a, the, in the tree was a nest. They had just, just planted the tree. So I just believe God is there. Our babies, they, our babies are there in spirit. And just like I said earlier, it's it would bring it's gonna bring peace. You can go there and sit. They have benches, really nice benches. You can sit there, and you can reminisce and think about your child. Now, Debbie, you've become involved with the YWCA. You're raising awareness about domestic violence. You know what more can we do as a community to protect and care for children? Well, I mean, excuse me. Um, I think keeping families safe. Um, I'm a big advocate for the YWCA. Um, I volunteer for them. I help raise money and awareness. I want to make sure that families know that there are resources that are available. I don't want families to go through what our families did. And I think at the event last night, we saw a lot of discussion around you know, community. I mean, it is a community. There's so many aspects of the garden, but all the community that took to bring this together. But it's going to take that to protect young children 
And knowing that those resources are there through the Office of Family Safety, through the YWCA, through lots of other organizations. And I'm talking about an incredible ecosystem that works in tandem with each other and making sure that those resources are being used and people know that they're there. Um, That's important to me. What do you want people to know about the importance of the garden? Statistics told through a story that invokes emotion is remembered. And these 250 children are not statistics. They're humans. Mm They had families that loved them, friends and community that cared for them. They had hopes and they had dreams. They had gifts and talents. And their lives were tragically ended too soon. And this garden remembers them and their stories, so they're not forgotten. That was Debbie Gray. She was joined by Enid Price and Regina Hockett. They were all, they are all family members of children who were memorialized at the Children's Memory Garden in Centennial Park. I want to thank all of you for being with us today. I want to thank all of you for sharing our stories, sharing your stories. I truly, truly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, it is suddenly chilly outside. That's a good indication that it's high time to harvest the crops in your garden. We'll get some tips and learn how to forage in our region. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Paige Flager. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover, and the masterminds behind our theme music, LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Tori Johnson, Kathy Gurley, and the family of Jamela Marlowe. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and be good to each other.